Would you pray with me? Almighty God, creator and sustainer of all, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Finding God amidst life's challenges. We all face many difficult challenges today. Of course, there are the well-known issues of global climate and the pandemic crisis that we often hear about the most. And there's also the political conflict, the economic stress, and the racial tensions that we hear about. Meanwhile, there are those of us who are also dealing with medical issues, family dynamics, or career questions. There are questions many of us have about social justice. For example, why does the richest 1% of the world own 43% of the total wealth, creating circumstances where a relatively small group of people live in extravagance, while a much larger percentage of the population live with food and housing insecurities? Why have only 3% of the people in low-income countries been able to receive a single COVID shot while 60% of those in high-income countries have been able to get one. We hear of well-connected individuals who are able to get away with questionable practices that take advantage of others for many years. Sometimes they're caught. Sometimes they live a very nice life with impunity. We may sometimes find ourselves wondering if God is really in control or if God is all-powerful and able to see into every corner of creation, why does God allow these terrible things to happen to people in life? These are not new questions. These are the kinds of questions that Job posed to God in the scripture that we read from this morning. This story of Job is an ancient story that some scholars believe had parallels in other cultures. The prophet Ezekiel mentions Job in his writings from 600 BCE, along with Noah from the flood story, and Daniel, who is actually thought to have been an ancient Canaanite king. None of those people mentioned by Ezekiel would have been Israelites. Some estimate the story of Job was written as early as 1000 BCE and probably existed as an oral tradition for many years before that. The questions Job raises have been on the minds of people across time and cultures as we all grapple with the seemingly inconsistent understanding of God as loving, omniscient, and all-powerful, but who also controls a world that is often plagued with suffering and injustice. The story of Job begins with a description of how blameless and upright Job has been all his life. He's a wealthy man who lived in the land of Uz, who has many animals, servants, and children who are all thriving. One day, the heavenly beings gather together and present themselves to God, and God asks one of these beings, which some interpretations call Satan, if he had noticed how wonderful Job is. Now, the image that we have of Satan today is not consistent with the character of Satan in this story. Rather than the evil demonic being that we normally think of, and the Hebrew word used in this passage, hasatan, more accurately describes the meaning as an accuser or an adversary. 
Some think the character of Satan in the story of Job more likely models a Persian court informant who advised the Persian king. In this story, Satan, or the accuser, claims that Job is blameless only because he's been protected by God. If God allowed calamity to enter into Job's life, he would certainly curse God. God accepts the accuser's challenge and permits him to take away all that Job has as a test. But Job must not be physically harmed. With God's permission, the accuser arranges for Job to experience terrible tragedies. His flocks are stolen, his servants are killed, and all of his children die in a tragic accident. Job is devastated. But despite these terrible events, Job remains faithful to God. He shaves his head and tears his robe and falls on the ground, worshiping God, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the next gathering of heavenly beings, God asks the accuser again. Now what does he think of Job? The accuser, still cynical of Job's piety, tells God that Job's only faithful because he's been physically protected. If he personally experienced physical pain, he would certainly curse God. Again, God accepts the accuser's challenge and allows the accuser to inflict sores all over Job's body, with the only limitation that he must be allowed to live. Job is now completely miserable, but he refuses to curse God, even at the prompting of his wife. While sitting in his pain and suffering, he has three friends who come to console him and offer comfort. After sitting in silence for a long while, Job finally speaks and curses the day of his birth. He wishes for that day to be darkness and for thick darkness to seize the night so that it's barren and he is never born. His friends who came to comfort him speak up and ask him what he did to deserve such tragedy. Like many of us who sometimes have difficulty knowing what to say to our friends in their moments of despair, Job's friends share words that are not really very comforting. The common understanding was that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. So surely Job must have done something really awful to deserve the terrible events that have been taking place in his life. Job argues with his friends, saying that he has been faithful to God and has experienced these tragedies through no fault of his own. But how is he expected to argue with the Almighty God, who nobody can withstand? In chapter 12, Job complains that God has such strength and wisdom that the deceiver and the deceived, deceived are both his. He leads counselors away, stripped, and makes fools of judges. He lays bare depths from the darkness and brings out to light death's shadows. Job goes on to mock God, claiming how God fosters greatness and humanity only to overturn princes, leaders, and nations so that they are conquered and forced to suffer. Eventually, we get to the passage that we read this morning where God finally answers Job. Speaking out of a storm, God asks, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without counsel? 
The phrase obscures my plans from the Hebrew machit etza might more literally be translated as darkens my planning or counseling. So another way of interpreting this question that God poses is, who is this that darkens my planning with words without counsel? No doubt Job is in a dark place. From the storm of his calamity, he has been crying out to God, and God is now respond to him, responding to him from that same storm. Job had cursed the day of his birth, wishing darkness had overwhelmed him so that he would never have been born. But God, who's lay, who lays bare depths from the darkness and brings out to light death's shadow, has now responded to Job. God, the source of light, and the one who brought Job into this world on that night, now challenges Job to gird his loins as though he was a warrior preparing for battle, for he must now contend with God. God then proceeds to challenge Job's capacity to take on this argument, asking him where he was when God laid the earth's foundation or marked off its dimensions. The stars were singing, the angels were shouting for joy. But where were you, Job? I remember when I first read this passage, I felt really let down. I thought Joe made some good points and asked some important questions. When I saw that the author of Joe was going to present God's response, I was eager to hear what would God have to say for himself? How would God rationalize allowing the terrible things that have happened to good people throughout history? Does it matter if we're good or bad, faithful or unfaithful, kind or unkind at all? But to my dismay, God didn't give a reason for these injustices in the story of Job. But after studying it further and reading some opinions of other people, I have a new appreciation for the answer that God gives in this story. First, God does not deny or try to refute the criticisms that Job has presented. Sometimes the things that are not said have very significant meaning. The omission of an explanation from God implicitly acknowledges that injustices do happen sometimes, and there are things in life that are not fair. We endure difficult challenges, and there is no reason sometimes for them to happen. At the same time, the story affirms that God is in control. God is all-powerful and omniscient, able to intervene in our reality. Yet we are not capable of understanding how God works and why tragedy happens. I think one reason this is difficult for many of us to accept is because it suggests that we have no control over some things that happen to us, and we never will have full control over our lives. We are forced to accept that God is in control, and we must rely on God. Another interesting point is the way the story shows how God sheds light on the darkness, and there is no darkness that can withstand God's light. Job makes this point in chapter 12 when he is mocking God, but the statement goes further than simply suggesting that God has full vision. I think it also suggests that there is no depth of darkness that God cannot save us from. 
Just as the Gospel of John states in the beginning of the first chapter where it describes Christ as the Word that was with God and was God, it also states, in Him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There is no level of despair that we can fall into that is too deep for God to shed light on. Ultimately, we must ask ourselves if we trust God. Although we may expect to experience injustices at times in the world, and we believe that God is aware and capable of intervening, do we trust that God's plan will finally culminate in an era of love, compassion, and justice? We won't be able to understand how it will happen, but do we have the faith that God is leading us toward the revelation of God's kingdom on earth? Do we leave the words spoken by Dr. Martin Luther King when he said that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice? If so, then our faithfulness and kindness matter. It matters if we're supporting God's plan by remaining faithful to Christ's message and working in this world toward the fulfillment of God's kingdom and offering kindness to those around us helps us to allay the negativity that is spawned by selfishness and indifference. As we see in the story of Job, faithfulness and trust are not easy to maintain, maintain in times of crisis. Job did not curse God, but he expressed a lot of anger at God. He highlighted the failures that seemed apparent to him in God's plan, and he complained bitterly for the unfair treatment that he had received. I think God expects us to express our frustrations when we suffer. Expressing anger to God is different from losing our faith in God. And I think it's helpful to share our true feelings with God. I mean, after all, God already knows what's happening in our lives and how we are feeling. So our expressions of anger and frustration are more about self-acknowledgement. This is important for our mental and our physical health. I think God is more concerned with our faith and trust, and this is why God provides relief to Job in the end of the story. So throughout the story, Job remains faithful to God despite all this criticism that he's given. God tells Job he doesn't understand what he's talking about, but God doesn't say that Job is wrong. On the other hand, God chastises the three friends who tried to convince Job that he deserved those tragedies that he was experiencing. God warns them to have Job offer sacrifices on their behalf, or they will have their own consequences to face. God blesses Job at the end of the story, and he ends up living a full life with more property and servants and children than he had before. This ending may seem ironic, after reflecting so much on the reality that injustices happen. But I think it serves as a good reminder that injustices do not always happen. There are tragedies that happen in this world, but there are also blessings and miracles. At the end of our stories, we expect the long arc of moral, the moral universe will bend toward Christ. We will end up in a place of joy 
love and compassion where pain and suffering have been defeated. In chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, Jesus tells his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. I think it is through this, through this hope, through the promises offered by Christ, that he will not forsake us, that we can find God in the midst of our challenges. Amen.